When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One of the things that's really knitting this all together, obviously, are the Jedi. What happened with the Jedi over time? Much like history, how did the Jedi evolve? They were wiped out with Order 66. Then they gradually have been coming back. The question that we're going to ask with New Jedi Order and with Rey is, does the galaxy need them anymore? Look, I I write and talk a lot about Survivor here at Entertainment Weekly, but here on the Day of a Dispatch today, we are going to be talking about a different Survivor, Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Our colleague Nick Romano has played the game, and he's going to share his review of said game with us today. Plus, we'll talk about the news of Damon Lindelof saying he was basically fired from writing the new Star Wars Ray film. We'll share our thoughts on that and our dream replacements to take over the job. Not only that, but we have Lucasfilm president Kathleen Kennedy on the podcast this week. The big boss lady is going to talk to us about the future of Star Wars when it comes to both theaters and streaming. And if we might see a Jedi Survivor make its way to live action at some point. See the way that just all came full circle? We're professionals here. That's the way we do it on the Dago Dispatch. I'm Dalton Ross, joined by Devin Kogan and EW's own Nick Romano. How's it going, folks? Hello, hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's good to have you back. Um, we're going to talk uh, Jedi Survivor in a minute. I want to hear everything about it because um, I'm super jealous that Nick has a PS5 and is playing it, and I do not have a PS5 and I'm not playing it. Uh, and we're going to welcome in Lucasfilm president Kathleen Kennedy, quite a guest this week. Uh, we spoke at Star Wars Celebration and talked about a bunch of different things in the Star Wars franchise. You guys are want to hear that. But guys, I, I want to just real quickly hit you up with a few things that have been happening in Star Wars land recently. First off, Carrie Fisher getting a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Now, I, I do want to, I don't want to be a complete killjoy, but, but I will say that um, I don't know how much you guys like know about the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I don't know how much really anyone really knows about it, but it is something that kind of is paid for in a weird way. Like, you know, oh, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, I actually did a story on this once and you basically pay $10,000. It was, that's what it was when I did my story, maybe inflation, it's more now. And it's usually like happens right before someone has something to promote, right? So like right before like a new Mission Impossible movie, all of a sudden then Tom Cruise will get his... His star on the Walk of Fame. I mean, like, so it's it's. I mean, I'm not saying anyone can get it. Like, Carrot Top is not going to get a star on the Walk of Fame. Like, I'm not getting a star on the Walk of Fame. Um, so just just letting everyone know the lay of the land for what this kind of is. But still, Devin, as I know you're such a massive Princess Leia, Carrie Fisher fan, must have been cool to see her and see Billy Lord and Mark Hamill there to celebrate the occasion. Yeah, it was cool. I I watched the the live stream because I was covering it for EW, um, and it was really moving to hear Mark Hamill, you know, talk about Carrie, and and obviously to hear Billy Lord talk about Carrie. Um, I thought it was like a really really beautiful thing. They had like a stormtrooper there, and three PO, and R two D two, and like uh, Billy Lord like poured glitter everywhere all over the star because Carrie Fisher loved glitter. It was like a very fun celebratory moment. Um, I agree with you. I think the the Hollywood Walk of fame is kind of silly. I think we, you know, kind of people who are, you know, maybe don't pay attention to it are like, oh, wow, what a cool, you know, thing. And it's like, no, it's, it's you know, usually like a studio or somebody who's promoting a movie pays $10,000 to to have it happen. Um, but I was a little surprised that Carrie Fisher didn't already have one. I sort of yeah. assumed that, um, you know, she's somebody who has had such a long, you know, incredible career. Um, 
obviously between Star Wars, but also, you know, as a screenwriter and when Harry met Sally and as a comedian and and everything. Um, but it was just like a nice moment and it was beautiful to hear Mark talk about her and um, to hear Billy talk about her. And it was just, it was, it was just nice. And it made me miss Carrie Fisher. And I thought it was like a beautiful, a beautiful way to spend May the 4th. Well, Devin, since you covered this, I wanted to ask you, because didn't something happen where like Billy Lord was like, oh, we didn't invite some of Carrie's surviving family members and they know what they did. And I'm like, what happened? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's very messy. So basically, Billy, you know, Car- Carrie Fisher had her brother Todd, and then she has um, some more some some half siblings. Um, and basically, apparently, Billy Lord released a statement basically saying I'm choosing not to invite them. Um, they know what they did. Basically, accusing them of sort of trying in the wake of her mother's death and Carrie Fisher died like a day or two before her mother Debbie Reynolds died and there was a huge amount of you know press interest and and you know people you know kind of uh descending and, and wanting to know everything and and Billy basically accused her mother's siblings of trying to capitalize on on Carrie's death and you know try to sell books and do press and and make you know media appearances to sort of self-promote and so um these are allegations that you know obviously Carrie's siblings have since denied but basically billy said we have no relationship there would be no reason for me to invite them and but i I do agree they know what they did is kind of a as far as press (laughs) statements go i I love it got the smile on nick's face right now he just loves the he loves the tea you're spilling right here all over the walk loves drama (laughs) there's one thing to know about nick (laughs) i'm drinking literal tea and sipping metaphorical tea love that (laughs) guy go um it, it is surprising she didn't have one for him. maybe she turned there are people again i wrote this story years ago and i've deleted all the information from my brain because the hollywood walk of fame i don't want it occupying too much space but there are certain giant names who basically were like you know because they, they a studio would come and say hey you know i'm making this up that this happened but hey carrie you know we're we're coming back now for the force awakens we'd love to have you st- uh, have a you know a star on the walk of fame and she might have been like no that's stupid i'm not doing that like i could totally see her doing that not saying she did it Devin, but I could see it. Oh yeah. But, um, but it's one of those things where, you know, it's, it's, if anyone deserves it, certainly Carrie does. And so I'm glad to, glad to finally have her on there. Did you see like all the stuff on social media of like Mark Hamill getting like just surrounded by fans, like swarming him, trying to sign stuff? I did see that. And that made me so angry because like, there's, I've seen that. I mean, it's especially when they're like, like sign this poster and sign this yeah. Funko pop or whatever. And it's a lot of times it's resellers or people who's like professionally make their whole job out to just be autograph collectors. And which is such a bummer. And that's going to be so stressful for him because, you know, there's so many Star Wars fans who are generally good people and would just be like, I just want to like say hi to Mark Hamill and like maybe have a conversation with him or just like wave from afar as opposed to people like literally mobbing his car and being like, sign this, sign this. So I can go turn around and put it on eBay. I did a story once on The Rock for Entertainment Weekly and I was with him in his car as he was leaving um, LA Comic Con and like he got mobbed by autograph hounds and it was a very weird experience to be in the car. It wasn't like on the level of like that Mark Hamill video but it's a very weird experience to have people like swarm a car being like please sign this Moana poster. It's it's a, a a good thing I'm not a celebrity because my handwriting's terrible and no one'll be able to read my <laughs> signature anyway. But what I think I actually would do if I was in that situation, and there are people clearly with you know what it is. They've got these sort of glossy pictures or posters, and like you said, you know you can just tell by looking at them like they're, this is not for them because they're a huge fan of this. This is so they can sell. So I literally would would take the time to be like, oh great, who should I make it out to? Oh uh, uh, no, if you could just sign, no no no, who should I make it out to? Because as soon as you write like to Jeff. Like that's not what they want. They exactly. just want the name. So like if like the more you personalize it, the less valuable it becomes. So uh, that's how I would probably screw with people if I was doing it. Nick would just throw his tea all over the poster. And he would like, <laughs> Nick would be like, "I'll sign your your thing. I'll give you my autograph if you give me some good gossip." Yeah, <laughs> I just take a paintbrush and dip it in paint, and just walk down a line and just <laughs> mass paint all of my, you know. <laughs> You're welcome. Correct. <laughs> all right, I I, I want to get your guys' take on something. This actually happened last week, but we didn't have time to discuss it, Devin. Which was. The situation where uh, Damon Lindelof, uh, he had said this before to Variety, essentially, but he he talked a little bit about more to Esquire, that he was working on the Ray film, that he was writing uh, the script with the, the, the Ray film with him and Justin Britt Gibson 
were writing this. And he said to Esquire, when they asked about him being in talks for, he goes, uh, there's a quote, I was in more than just talks to join the Star Wars universe. I joined the Star Wars universe and was asked to leave. And then he then sort of said, well, will I get back in line outside the club and try to get back in? Absolutely. If at first you don't succeed, try and try again, or again, again, try as Yoda would say. First off, how bummed are we that Damon Lindelof is not writing a Star Wars movie? I'm very bummed. This is something we've talked about on this show before. And, you know, we're big fans of his and and how he's taken, you know, I especially how he's taken like sort of legacy franchises like he did with Watchmen and turned them into something fresh and exciting and actually have interesting storytelling. Um, I'm very bummed that that he's not going to be uh, moving forward with, with Star Wars. But I'm also, this gives me a little bit of hope that like Star Wars is willing to be like, hey, what we have right now isn't working. We're going to start, we're going to bring in a new creative team and really take our time to get it right. I think probably all of us are in agreement. And I know Lauren Morgan would agree with us that like Rise of Skywalker could have benefited from being like, hey, what we have right now isn't working. Let's take another crack at it. We'll take some time. We'll push the release date back. We want to make sure we get it right. So anytime they're like, hey, we're going to we're gonna pause and, and we're going to kind of reset and, and figure out what we want to do next. I think that's a great idea. I'm bummed it won't be with Damon Lindelof, but you know, the more time people have to work, especially specifically in like the writing and brainstorming phase, that's all good news to me. Nick, are you a big Lindelof guy or not? I am. Yeah, I really respect him and the work that he does. I loved Watchmen. Oh, my God, it was so good. But I, it was it made me think, like, is this the last Jedi effect? Like Ryan Johnson did something so different with that movie. And obviously that it's still a lightning rod amongst fans. Like maybe Damon Lindelof did something completely different. And <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy and everyone was like, eh, maybe something a little bit more in line with <laughs> what we've already been doing <laughs> for the past few years. I'm wondering if that was a factor anymore. Um I also want to know, like, how does Lucasfilm tell someone politely to get the f*** off? <laughs> Sammy's got to beep that. Sammy, Sammy's beep, beeping that. <laughs> but it's, no, but it's true. It's like, how do you be like, hey, we want you to write a Star Wars? Actually, just kidding. Also, the wording of I was asked to leave the galaxy is so good. <laughs> I'm going to say that next time. Like, oh, how was your date? Uh, I was asked to leave the galaxy. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a it's a I'm really bu- listen. You could make the case. I'm not saying they would all be in mind, but you could make the case that this guy has three shows that people would put in their top ten shows of all time. That right, like Lost, The Leftovers, and Watchmen are just incredible. And I you know I know I mean Lost is such a great rewatch. I know like Lost takes a lot of. I won't curse and make Sammy uh, bleep me, but but it takes a lot of S for you know how it that last season how it ended. It feels a lot better on a rewatch. I'll tell you, having done it, and obviously JJ came originally from Lost, and maybe that didn't work out so great with Rise of Skywalker. But but Damon's batting average is pretty damn good. That's what it all comes up to. Everyone's got hits and misses, and Damon's batting average is really really good. I would have loved to have seen. What he could have done uh, with Charmaine Obeyed Shinoy, um, that's not happening now. Um, so I guess let's just pose the question. We don't know who the writer is. We don't know if the writer's been hired. We don't know if they're using any of Damon's script or whatever he was working on. There could be someone working on this right now. But if I were to say to you guys, all right, you get to hire the next writer for this Ray film. I want to hear who you would hire and why. Nick, we'll start with you. Yeah, I I don't know. There's I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, I don't know. Part of me wants to go with Bryce Dallas Howard, who's been making like has had such goodwill, has been laying such a great filmmaking foundation on The Mandalorian, and I believe even like Star Wars Visions. I think she did an episode of that. Um, and to and obviously Ron Howard did the Han Solo movie. I feel like it's in her blood. I feel like she could totally do this, and especially when we're talking about a character like Ray. I don't know. I think she could add like a fresh perspective to it. Um, I was also just kind of Googling around and I, I love Mike Flanagan and he said in the past that he wants to make a Star Wars movie. Of course, I feel like every single director on the face of this planet has been reported as saying they want to make a Star Wars movie at some point. Um, but I don't think Mike Flanagan has technically had a miss yet. I could be wrong. Even like the Midnight Club had rave reviews and it basically got canceled because he left Netflix and went over to Amazon. Um, so not really a miss in that regard. I would like, I would love to see what he could do with Star Wars. 
I love both of those picks. I've been a huge fan of Bryce Dallas Howard's work on The Mandalorian and and Book of Boba Fett. And um, I'm also a, a big Flanagan fan. Like Midnight Mass is like one of my favorite things to come out in the last five years. And, and I think that could be a really, really fun perspective. Yeah, Bryce Dallas Howard, I'm not sure how much writing she's done. She's done a lot of directing. I'm not saying she hasn't. I just don't. Off the top of my head, I'm trying to look it up now. I don't really know how much, you know, they already have a director for this film. Mm-hmm. So they need the writer. So I'm not really sure if that's what she does a lot of, but it's certainly an interesting suggestion. And it's not to say she couldn't. And you're right. Her father obviously has a long, long history with, you know, you know George Lucas is no longer there, but obviously he and George Lucas go all the way back to American <laughs> Graffiti. So it is kind of cool to keep that, keep that in the family, so to speak. Devin, who's your pick? I was thinking about this and I was trying to think of people who are one writers who like have a very specific voice. Um, and I, the one that I kept coming back to is I would love to see what Phoebe Waller bridge could do in the star Wars universe. Obviously we've seen her. Um, she played uh, L three in the solo movie. Um, she, you know, obviously did the motion capture and the voice work for that, but I think she's an incredible writer and I would love to see kind of what she could do in the Star Wars space. I think specifically because it's a Ray story. I would love to, it's by a female director. I would love to have a female writer um, and see kind of if there was an interesting perspective to bring there. Um, and, and also I'm just a huge fan of Phoebe's and like, you know, uh, she's obviously starring in the new Indiana Jones. So there's that continued kind of Lucasfilm, um, you know, kind of family, family vibe. So uh, I mean, but also she's crazy busy and has like a crazy Amazon deal and is working on 9 billion things at any one time. So, um, but, but she's somebody who I was like, Ooh, I would be very curious to see what she would do with Ray. I'm just imagining Ray, like breaking the fourth wall and talking directly to camera, like in Fleabag. <laughs> but well, I mean, like, listen, I, I really liked Fleabag, but I, I would, I actually, liked Killing Eve more the first season. The yes, first season of Killing so Eve, good. I thought. And that kind of is more maybe a template of the type of things she could do, right? Like tonally. So I, I think she's a great pick. She's proved herself really adept at different types of work and different types of writing shows that she can sort of is not just stuck in one sort of style. So I think it's a great pick. And like you said, she's worked with Lucasfilm in multiple times now. So I think it's really interesting. So I, I've got, like Nick, I sort of cheated. I've got two sort of <laughs> suggestions. Um, one is uh, Jordan Peele. Now, Ooh. obviously, most of the writing he's been doing, along with directing, has been sort of in the horror genre. But obviously, we know Key and Peele, very different. So again, like Phoebe Waller-Bridge, uh, has shown a lot of diversity of style. And I just feel like he would just do so something so interesting and probably it would never work, right? It would never work. Like he just, he, we've seen all the different people that Lucasfilm have, have parted ways with either before or during or like well into production. And I, I'm, I can't see Jordan Peele working sort of within that structure. So I don't think it would work, but if for some reason it would, and if for some reason they just said, you are Jordan Peele, we are letting you do whatever you want to do, go for it. That would be awesome. Um, and the other one I'll throw out there is Patrick Somerville. And I'm throwing Patrick Somerville out there because, one, he worked on The Leftovers. If we can't have Lindelof, <laughs> like, let's get someone else in there that could do it. But also, I just fell in love with Station Eleven. I just, I loved it so much. And I started rewatching it with my daughter. And it just holds up so well. I never watched Maniac, which he did, but I know a lot of people really liked it. Um, but I just feel like he could really do something really deep. Like, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, I think that's kind of what we've seen from somebody like Tony Gilroy, you know, who was hired because of, you know, his work on stuff like, you know, the Bourne movies and kind of more like spy thriller kind of genre. But bringing that into a Star Wars, kind of bringing that into the Star Wars universe, I would love to see... Star Wars play a little bit with genre, like whether that's like, you know, Jordan Peele and horror or whether that's like, you know, kind of how Andor's embrace like the spy thriller genre. I think there's a lot of fun to be had um, with that as opposed to just everything's just their only genre is just space epic. And I think you can have a space epic that also has flavors of other other genres. So I would love to see them kind of experiment and, you know, um, even like by Flanagan, who obviously has such a horror background. Um, I think that could be super fun. What was the X-Men like horror movie they tried to do then was it like sat on a shelf for like three or four years oh my god the new that? mutants the new oh, mutants totally <laughs> forgot that that existed <laughs> yeah yeah i feel like they filmed it like six years ago and yeah, it was all like children and then they grew up and on the press tour they were like oh these are the fully grown adults 
<laughs> I was on set for that like years ago. I was Stop like, "Stop it!" In Boston, middle of the night, mosquitoes everywhere. Anya Taylor Joy was doing that scene where she drops out of a portal in the sky and lands in a cemetery before she fights the demon. I like bear. Nick. I like I, I like your acting. Like I've seen the movie. I like, you're like oh, remember, the, remember that scene where Anna Taylor Joy drops down? Like, no, I haven't seen that. It was wild. <laughs> I didn't even know Anya Taylor-Joy was in that movie. I just knew <laughs> yeah. Maisie Williams was in it. I, Anya Taylor-Joy's in that movie? Yeah, she plays magic. And she, I mean, she has a few good lines in it. Although there is some, like, they wrote in this whole, like, I feel like we're getting completely off topic. But <laughs> no, but I want to know what happens. I'm this never, is the topic. I'm never going to see this movie, so tell me what happens. <laughs> but it, it's, it's kind of problematic because, one, they took a few characters of color from the comics and made lighter skin and even white people play them in the movie and then there's this whole uh kind of like dialogue in the beginning about magic making like racist comments against um i forget the main character's name but uh she's native american and making all these pocahontas jokes and i'm like (laughs) wait so so they had like five years to clean that up and still didn't fix that (laughs) pretty much i mean that movie there are so many behind the scenes stories um some of it i've been told off the record and some are I've kind of reported about um, in a feature that I wrote, but yeah, there's they basically just were like, we just need to get it out at this point. It's done. Let's just push it out and have it be that. And well, that was one did. of the first things to get released after Disney bought Fox. You know, is because Disney didn't make it originally. They they sort of sort of acquired it, and then they yeah. were like, oh god, what do we do with this? Mm-hmm. Did they did, so that went out in theaters? Like, did they actually release it in theaters or did they just like throw it oh, on some weird streaming? I no, I feel like it was I Disney feel like Plus. It was in theaters. Maybe. In- oh, God, this is so long ago at this point. Um, I feel like it got a very short theatrical release, but I, I think again, you're right. I didn't know I Anya Taylor right. Joy was in it. So that to- shows you. I'm looking you it up right now. I'm looking it up right now. They it came out in 20. Yeah, 2020, it came out. Uh, yeah. So not great timing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, was a, it was a pandemic dump. Well, hold on. Let's see. I actually, yeah, it was a pandemic, but it did come out in theaters. It looks like, which yeah. is crazy. So it grossed twenty three point nine million in the United States, twenty five million overseas. So it made forty nine million. They like they buried that movie. Yeah, <laughs> it was all, August. August tw- like August is a berry month. Uh, it's like August twenty eighth. Like yeah, yep. it was just sort of like. Get rid I love of it. it. Come for Star Wars. <laughs> stay for X Men. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <by all> means. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's let's go to what people uh, really came for. Well, there's two things they came. They came to hear from Kathleen Kennedy, and and we'll get to that uh, our interview with Kathleen in a little bit. But Nick knows I'm super jealous of him. You all have heard the sob story. I've repeated it like pretty much every week. How I had a PS4, then I had a PS5, and then my son took the PS5 cross country. And the new uh, Star Wars Jedi game is only on PS5, at least for PlayStation it is. So I can't play it. And I love the last one. I even read like the prequel book to the new game because that's how nerdy I am. I need to know what the Mantis is up to. And I can't play the new stupid game. Uh, But Nick has played it. I'm curious to hear what you think, Nick. I was reading lots of early reviews about bugs in the game and people freaking out. I was curious whether you experienced any of those difficulties. Tell us everything. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to consolidate all of my thoughts because there is so much uh, that went into this game. I didn't experience any of the bugs. However, I I got an early code and I it, I, my, it was my intent to review it, formally write a review for EW.com. And then I had to go to LA and like work got ahead of me. So I feel like by the time I actually sat down to start playing, I already had like a couple of patches that were downloadable and kind of fixed some of the things that people were talking about. Um, so I didn't run into a lot of those problems. Um, I really like this game. I, I feel like it really builds on the foundation of Jedi Fallen Order in really interesting ways. Um, I feel like there are less planets that you explore, but the planets that you're on are so much more rich. It's it's so many different things um, that you can explore and just stumble upon. Um, And right now I'm just deep, deep, deep into the customization of it all. Like you can get all of these different hairstyles and beard, like (laughs) facial hair for Cal Kestis. And right now I have like this himbo man bun, but I like to think of it as a samurai man bun with like a 
little pirate stash. Um, and you find it, it's, it's so funny to me because you know, remember um, from the first game, you can find all these canisters and, you know, yeah. BD one kind of, you know, hijacks them and you can open it up and like find all these goodies. And so sometimes you'll open a canister and it'll be like, Oh, you got a new facial hair style. <laughs> and I'm like, that was just in this, <laughs> in this canister. Um, I don't know the physics of that, but no, it's, it's so much fun. Um, a poncho makes a lot more sense than a new hairstyle. That's I remember the first game, there was just lots of ponchos you could change, but I don't remember the hairstyle. That's something, though, as someone who, again, hasn't played it, um, but has been following the chatter online, I have loved watching all of the crazy customization that people are doing. Like, I've seen a lot of mullet Cal Kestis, which is mm. like, wow, that's a vibe. Um, you know, different lightsabers, stuff like that. I'm like, wow, I love, like redneck trailer Cal Kestis with his mullet mullet. It's yes. Oh my God. I definitely went through a Dukes of Hazard kind of phase with uh, <laughs> all these different looks. Uh, some of yeah, some of them get really <laughs> just wild. Um, like Brooklyn hipster look, uh, Dukes of Hazard. Just kind of, may, there's also like one that I dubbed the white supremacist because it's just like a super weird like buzz cut. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> not for me. Um, but yeah, I'm just so deep in that. And I've made my lightsaber, which is also like super customizable, like bright pink. And I feel like yeah. I'm, I'm in my pink yeah. Power Ranger mode in this game. Um, I made, yeah. that was my favorite thing about the, the last game was making an orange lightsaber. Orange is my favorite color. I always get mad. There's no orange lightsabers. And so that was just little simple pleasures like that. Um, Nick, but without spoiling anything, obviously, cause I don't want to spoil the, you know, what happens in the game, but what is the general uh, plot of the game in terms of the first one? They're fighting off all these uh, inquisitors, uh, and you know, he, I mean, the Dathomir stuff is awesome, and that's where he meets Marin, the Night Sister, and this sort of now dark Jedi. What can you just sort of say about the general plot of the game? Yeah, it's it's something that they definitely kept quiet in all of the marketing material, and so it felt like completely brand new information when I was playing it. Um, and I also didn't read the prequel novel as you did, Dalton. So maybe you can kind of fill in some of the gaps there. Um, but we're essentially about like five years after the events of Fallen Order. The Mantis crew has completely gone their separate ways. Um, yep. But Cal Kestis is still kind of being a rebel, resisting the Empire. Um, and so we start on Coruscant. Um, and he's on a mission to like steal information from this senator who's basically a puppet of the Empire. Um, it's a completely different Coruscant than we remember. Um, and I really, I'm going to talk a little bit about the opening sequence. I'm, tr- God, I'm trying not to get into spoilers. I know, I know, I know. I'm trying not to get into spoilers. Um, what I will say is that it's, it's foreshadows a lot that's to come in this game. Um, the main thing is that we meet a bunch of new characters. Maybe not all of those new characters make it out of the opening sequence. So it immediately informs the player that not everyone necessarily is going to make it to the end of this game. And then another big thing is just the allure of the dark side. Um, and you can see very early on how Cal is, you know, maybe he could go dark. Maybe he is going to kind of commit really terrible things later on. Um, but maybe he won't. I don't know. I mean, it's that's what one of the bit, most interesting things for me is just that they take that dark side allure and they really make the player grapple with it as you are playing as Cal Kestis. Um, but the general kind of gist of it is that mission goes terribly wrong and Cal's ship crash lands on this planet Kobo. Um, so he has to start his first thought is like, Oh, Grease, like nobody knows the Mantis ship better than he does. So maybe he can fix it. And Grease has a bar now that he's running on this planet. So it all kind of works out. Do, do they show Grease missing an arm? He lost an arm, I believe in the, in the book I read. So I was curious whether they explain that at all or not, or maybe he's got now some like, you know, Darth Vader, know. Luke Skywalker, fake arm or something. I think he might have a fake arm. I have to yeah. really go back. I, I, I've just kind of like been in a blitz. Just kind of yeah, playing this game. game. There's so much information. Um, uh, and so basically the High Republic plays such a big part 
in this game. And so I feel like, I mean, we know the the Acolyte, the TV show that's coming up is also dealing with the High Republic. I feel like we're finally getting into this point where all of that material is kind of being incorporated into the larger Star Wars canon. Um, or not canon, but, you know, the larger Star Wars properties and the storytelling mediums. Um, and so the basic gist of this game is that Cal discovers a High Republic era droid that he nicknamed Z on this planet. And Z is, you know, it was a protocol droid for these this Jedi Master and this Jedi Knight from the High Republic era. Um, and it all has to do with this ancient lost planet called Tantalor. Um, and Cal is hoping um, to turn that into a safe haven for the Jedi Order and anyone kind of trying to escape the Empire. Um, so he is now going on a mission to find all these compasses um, that'll lead him to that planet. He meets this character, uh, Dagan Jera. I don't know. Oh, I don't know how much I'm going to say about that character. Um, but at this point, it's, the game has been out for a week. So I feel like if you just Google Dagan Jera, like the wikis are immediately going to spoil it in the first few paragraphs. Um, but he, this is the character that we see in a lot of the trailers who has one arm. Um, and the fact that he's wearing a High Republic era cape, um, that's not a coincidence. Um, that's all I'll say. Um, and yeah, so basically it's just kind of this mission to find Tantalor, lots of different other characters in the mix here. Um, lots of different agendas, lots of different twists. I mean, it was just really good storytelling. Um, and I don't even think I managed to predict a lot of the twists that came in this game. In in the book that, that connects the two games, there's a, a lot lot more inquisitor action the fifth brother plays a big role in the book are there inquisitors in this game as well still hunting them down because that was certainly happens in the prequel book there are inquisitors still hunting them down but not as many as you would think gotcha and that's all i'm going to say so 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 how does it how does it shape up like compared to the last game for you nick it feels just like it's I, I for, for me, I, it didn't really sort of match the same level, but I mean, it was really high up there. I mean, I really love the first game as just kind of this origin story and just having a completely different perspective from this very familiar story arc, which was the Jedi Purge and seeing a brand new character, Cal Kestis, in that role. Um, but I, I love the fact that like, they take the fact that you know, you're not starting this new game from scratch. You have like all of the main abilities that you learned um, from the first game. And you have all the customizable lightsaber options too when you start um, the Jedi Survivor. So it's not like you're starting over. I mean, you still have to like, the part that annoyed me was now I have to find all my health canisters again um, and all that. But um, clearly five years have passed. Cal is a much more experienced Jedi. Um, and there's still like so many cool force abilities to learn. Um, you now have the cross guard lightsaber that you can wield as like a consistent weapon in this game. Um, I really like the dual lightsaber where, you know, it's connected, but then you rip it apart and one lightsaber in each hand. That's the one that's my favorite one. Um, and then there are like specific uh, specific challenges, side quests that like require you to master like one specific or achieve you know master one specific lightsaber mod. And ugh, I, there's so much to this game. There's so much to do. I, I I literally just put this on easy mode just so I can get through the story portion of it as fast as possible. And even then, it was kind of a struggle. Like the rancor, the, uh, I mean, that was in the trailer, so I feel like I can talk about it. But like, I died so, so many instant, like one hit <laughs> kills from this thing. And I'm like, this is. <laughs> <laughs> and there goes Sammy again. <laughs> Nick, there was, there was, there was a moment like, because I'm not really good at video games anymore. And so there was a moment in the first game where I can't remember exactly, but you're basically in some sort of arena and there's like three monsters attacking you. And I think I died like a thousand times and I was like throwing controllers across the room, just getting so pissed off that I just couldn't get past it. It was like really frustrating. Um, So I get it. I've been there and I'll be there again. Devin, just your level of jealousy now. And uh, are you considering just going out and buying a, a PS5 just for the hell of it? 
Look, I've been thinking about it because there's so many good games that I really want to play. I that are that are all just PS5 exclusives, and this is one where I missed the boat on um, Fallen Order. It just it I, I never picked it up, and I have I, I've been thinking actually because I do have a PS4. I'm like, should I go back and play Fallen Order yes, to sort of yes, prepare? Yes, so you guys yes. would recommend? Yes. Okay. Yes. Maybe yeah. that'll be my next. Although, see, I'm I'm for the the near future. I'm sort of freeing up my calendar because Tears of the Kingdom, the new Zelda game, comes out this weekend, mm. and so that's going to be. I'm like legitimately thinking about taking a day off work just to play that. Um, but so I'm like, okay, maybe once I work through that, maybe I'll I'll add Jedi Sur- first, Fall in Order, and then if I am totally hooked on it, which I probably will be, and maybe I'll bite the bullet. Mm. But it's expensive. My- Ugh, it, yeah, tragic. it is really expensive. Maybe I mean. Listen, you never know when the PlayStation Store is going to have a sale and you can get it for sure. like 50% off and just download it. But my my favorite new addition um, to this game is uh, Mind Control, which was something that you could do <laughs> in uh, Star Wars The Force Unleashed. And you could literally just tell a stormtrooper like to commit suicide and jump <laughs> off a high pillar <laughs> to their death. <laughs> And I just, I, there's so many different like branches of skill level that you can learn with mind control. Now I'm like up to the point where I can like, there's all these like gigantic beasts that are like five times the size of you. And I can just mind control them to like squat on like a group of stormtroopers and they all die (laughs) instantly. It's, it's wonderful. I absolutely adore it. Um, I love making people think they're crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Mind control is awesome, man. Mind control is awesome. You know, do love mind control. I mean, like, now I'm a little just, I don't know why I decided to have Nick on. I'm a little upset I did because now I'm just like frustrated again that I'm not playing this game. (laughs) Like, that's all I've done. Like, I was so excited to hear what he said. And as soon as he starts talking, I'm like, ah, now I I just want to go buy another PS5 and like ignore my wife for the next month. Because that's the thing. At least I get my money's worth because being bad at the game, like I play forever. Like, it takes me a really long time to get through the game, especially if I try to put it, like, on medium mode or whatever. Easy is hard enough. If I put it on medium, I'll be playing this stupid game all year. Yeah. So, there you go. It'll it'll pay for itself. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I don't know if we want to get into just, like, a spoiler warning, but there are a couple Ooh. of things, a couple of ways in which this game relates to the larger Star Wars universe. Oh, yeah. All right. So that, that very good call. Let's give a spoiler warning. We're going to talk about some stuff that may connect to other media, Star Wars media. Uh, you have been warned. Yes, Nick, go spill. Yeah, I want to so know everything. The first thing is the hidden path, um, which was something that we learn about in Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's sort of this underground railroad system for Jedi and anyone kind of escaping the Empire. Um, and Seer Jinda and uh, our night sister, Marin, are both a part of it. Um, they've set up shop on Jeddah. Uh, this kind of like desert planet and Seer is also trying to recreate uh, the Jedi archives there. Um, and so Tantalor is like, they want Tantalor to be a big stop on the hidden path. So it really makes me wonder, like, is Tantalor going to pop up like in a live action Star Wars series or something like that? Because I feel like it's at this point, it's a pretty good guess um, that Cameron Moynihan is going to come back as Cal Kestis in live action. Um, And so we leave him kind of on Tantalor at the end of this game. So it's I'm curious if he's now on the hidden path to like building up this whole vast network and how that might kind of play into the events um, and sort of the current uh, Star Wars timeline. Um, we get another cameo from Darth Vader in this game. Nice. Um, I won't Ooh. spoil that. Uh, th- those circumstances specifically. Um, and I also won't spoil. No, actually I'm going to spoil this because I didn't realize it until I got all the way through this side mission. And like, so I feel like if you want to find this character, like this is how to do it. Um, Boba Fett comes in this game um, because you meet this character um, on Kobo, this planet that Cal Kestis crash lands on. And one of the many kind of side quests you can do. And you're basically like, Oh, if you happen to like kill all these bounty hunters that are just like, are lying around um, kind of like waiting for you in the bushes or whatever. I'll like give you a reward. And so once you destroy all of those bounty hunters, there's like 16 or 17 of them. Like it's a long kind of side 
quest to find them all. Um, then there's sort of like a cutscene situation and Boba Fett kind of makes his grand debut. Um, so there is that. And then I'm trying to think if there's sort of like any other, no, I don't think there's any other kind of like big cameos. I think those are kind of the main things, but I, I, the biggest question that I had after playing this game, I'm like, where is Cal Kestis going from here? I hope they do another game, at least like finish out this core trilogy, but then also like, I want to see this character in live action and how is he going to fit? And like now everyone's obsessed with the bringing the high Republic stuff um, into star Wars television and beyond. So but the interesting thing is, do he do, he doesn't fit obviously in the old High Republic because um, that was like you know, hundreds of years beforehand, and he doesn't really fit at that age uh, with the whole new Mandalorian timeline, right? It's like an, he'd mm-hmm. be much older. I mean, not much older, but you know, he's going to be older. So I'm not sure even Cameron Monaghan would be able to play him, which seems weird uh, unless you're somehow aging him up all the time. So I agree. I, th- I think they're going to do it, Nick. I just wonder in what form and in what space because it seems like all the shows are in the mandalorian timeline except for the acolyte which is way way back yeah yeah so no it's interesting maybe he'll adopt one of the yeah. new like himbo looks uh, from the game that you can <laughs> you I can mean, dress and, up and, 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 and andor doesn't seem like a type of play i mean timeline wise andor makes the most sense but at the same w- time like makes the least sense. Like, I, like, I don't know. Like, I, it just seems like a weird place to put him. And I don't know that Tony Gilroy would be excited to bring in like a video game character, Devin. I don't know. Yeah. He doesn't strike me as that, especially when one of the things I actually like about Andor is how it's like no lightsabers, no um, force really. It's all very, you know, kind of on the ground, which I, you know, I don't think it would make sense to bring Cal Kestis in, in there, but you never know. I mean, Cameron Monaghan has said time and time again that he'd be open to it. And I think he's, you know, he's got such recognition that, We'll see. Well, I just will say I asked Kathleen Kennedy this exact question, and you're going to get to hear her answer in just a minute. Um, what a Nick, transition. Anything, yeah, you like that? Ba-bam! Uh, <laughs> Nick, anything else you want to say about the game? I mean, you really you, you gave us a good review, and you, you gave us some some sort of things to keep an eye out for. And you sort of connected it to the, the the broader galaxy. Anything else? It was just such a great Star Wars story that it was just such a joy to just experience. Um, but now I feel like, I mean, listen, it, it took me like maybe three or four days of just like hunkering down, playing this game on easy mode <laughs> outside <laughs> of work just to get through the main story. But there is so much packed into this game. I feel like I'm going to be playing it for at least another week to kind of get all of the nitty gritties in it. You bastard. You <laughs> bastard. Hate you so much. Hate you so much. Nick, you're going to like wake up in the middle of the night and hear music coming from your living room and it's just going to be Dalton like in your apartment. Oh my God. <laughs> if I go buy a PS5 because of you, Romano, I'm going to be cursing your name. like all, And so is my wife. So is my wife. You're in a lot of trouble now. Uh, all right. That's awesome. I also, listen, I chatted with the head honcho, the big cheese, the lady in charge, Lucasfilm president, Kathleen Kennedy. We spoke at Star Wars Celebration a few weeks ago and I've been saving it just for you. And it is coming up right after this quick break. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. A Ray film. Very exciting news. Uh, well, a lot of films, but the Ray film first. Let's, let's chat about that. What made you want to bring this character back? Why was this the way to go in the future with Star Wars? Well, as we move into the future space, which this story is about 15 years outside of Rise of Skywalker, obviously we realize post-war, post-First Order, Rise of the New Jedi Order, um, we left Episode Nine with Rey making a commitment to Luke Skywalker that she would rebuild the Jedi Order. And so here we are. We're ready to do that. And it took a lot of discussion because obviously we've been de- developing stories in different spaces. 
and television has been a big focus of our attention right now, but there's still so much interest in what happens after Rise of Skywalker. So we're excited to be doing that now. Let's talk about these other big screen offerings. Obviously, you have Dave Filoni working in the same time period as now. I have mm-hmm. to assume, Kathleen, that that's going to be a big, we're going to see characters from Ahsoka and Mandalorian and Boba Fett and Skeleton Crew, that this will be kind of the big meetup. It's not, I, I hesitate to say it's a big meetup from just those three because Dave's been developing Star Wars storytelling inside Clone Wars, Rebels, so much of the work that he has done for 20 years. So it'll be little bits of all of that. As you saw in this presentation, he's introducing Thrawn. That's from Timothy Zahn's book. Um, so there's a lot of sources he's drawing from to see where we're going. And then James Mangold going back 25,000 years. Could this be is even the more. Early, yeah, <laughs> this is the earliest we've seen of Star Wars. So what made you want to sort of investigate that far back? We've been talking a lot about going well into the past. And one of the things that's really knitting this all together, obviously, are the Jedi. What happened with the Jedi over time, much like history, really? How did the Jedi evolve? They were wiped out with Order 66. Then they gradually have been coming back. The question that we're going to ask with New Jedi Order and with Rey is, does the galaxy need them anymore? Do they want them back? So there's there's a lot of food for thought in what we're doing, whether it's in the past, present, or future. In this Rey film, obviously there's a lot of other characters out there that we last saw in Rise of Skywalker. Might some of those be popping up? Could uh, be. <laughs> Entirely possible to see some people come back. Let me ask you a weird question, but it's one I think about. What about the crawl, Kathy? Mm-hmm. What about the crawl? We haven't seen the crawl in a while. That was for those nine, those nine Skywalker saga movies. She's a Skywalker. Is the crawl coming back for the Ray film? Crawl's coming back. Crawl's coming back. Just for the Ray film? No. Crawl, crawl, crawl is for movies. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Um, you have a new indie movie coming out, yeah. uh, obviously. Um, this is a franchise folks are still super excited about. So how do you look at the future of the indie franchise if this is indeed going to be Harrison's last entry in it? It's Harrison's last entry. <laughs> That's how we look at the indie franchise. I mean, truthfully, right now, um, if we were to do anything, it might be in series television down the road, but we're not doing anything to replace Indiana Jones. This is it. It's five movies that Harrison Ford did. And Harrison is so specific and so unique to creating this role. Um, we just, Stephen agrees, we, we just wouldn't do that. Uh, the Acolyte. Yeah. Uh, really exciting. Just saw Star Wars Celebration. Obviously takes place right at the end of the High Republic. Mm-hmm. You've had a huge book initiative with the High Republic and all these novels coming out. So is that a space where we're going to start to see more sort of on-screen offers? You know, it could be because one of the things we talked about in publishing was how we could begin to incubate certain ideas. And in the case of the High Republic, there's been some wonderful storytelling that's gone on there. It's not necessarily what Leslie is doing with Acolyte. But it certainly opens up the possibilities for being able to tell stories in that space. What about telling stories from from some of your other media mediums? Uh, I mean, you have the, the new video game coming out, mm-hmm. the new Star Wars Jedi uh, Survivor video game. A lot of people would love to see Cal Kestis and the Mantis crew uh, mm-hmm. in live action. How much do you guys talk about I've that? I've seen a lot of chatter online about that. <laughs> um, it could be really interesting. It's not something that's front and center right at the moment. But what's interesting in the company that we do is... Everybody across all these different lines of business, we all talk to one another. So, you know, that often doesn't happen in situations like this. But because Lucasfilm, so many of the people are used to working together, we, we, we're very transparent about what the storytelling is that's going on, whether it's in the streaming space or the movie space or books, animation, games, whatever it is. Eventually, it'll be some kind of immersive entertainment. You know, there's so many things we talk about just in terms of how we use technology with ILM inside the company. So this constant cross-pollination of ideas to determine just exactly what stories move into the movie space, what stories move into the TV space, you never know because the creative process is very similar in all of those different spaces. And so you don't have a crystal ball. You see what works, and then if it does, you draw from that. 
How do you all make the determination in terms of now what's a story that goes on the big screen and in the theaters and what's a story that goes on Disney Plus in a um, a, you know, a longer, uh, series format? I think, you know, I think your question is one of the most interesting ones facing many of us who are doing high-end premier television because there's so many things we can do in streaming now where we, we do massive effects. We, we really, you know, increase the scale and size of these stories. And I certainly find myself personally looking at, well, what is that distinction? that moves something onto the big screen versus the smaller screen. And it's usually the intimacy of the character-driven stories that you try to really push in the, in the television space and then the spectacle that you can still preserve in the movie space. And let's talk about the animation front for a second, because it's proved so fertile. All this Clone Wars and Rebel stuff we're now seeing in live action. Uh, you've got the Bad Batch on. Is that something in terms of your animation arm that you're trying to look to increase? We are. I mean, Visions, right. which you didn't mention, is I think that's one of the most interesting initiatives we have right now, because we're working with animation studios all around the world and a lot of different talent, in addition to the amazing talent we have in-house. So, yeah, I, I think animation, what's interesting is all these different art forms, really, are merging in certain ways. So there's a lot of what we do in special effects and things that we're doing in animation where there's a connection between the two, and what that may end up creating down the road could be really exciting, something we've never really seen before. And that's, you know, it's another great thing about Lucasfilm is because we have the technology piece inside of the creative community in our company. We're, we're all working together to try to drive that. I remember I asked you before Obi-Wan Kenobi aired, any chance of a season two? And you said, look, it's a one season story. Never say never, but that's the way we envision this. It's a year later. I'm going to ask you again. Any chance for more Obi-Wan Kenobi? You know, I always hesitate to say, no, we won't do anything more with Obi-Wan Kenobi. Maybe what we end up doing is something that gets incorporated into some of the other stories we're doing or eventually into a movie. Who knows? Um, but right now it's, it's still our standalone limited series. We're not, we have no plans for expansion right now. But, but you, you know, you just brought up, there's other characters from that, yeah. that show that Reva, they're great characters yeah. that we could hopefully see again somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Kathleen, thanks a lot. I know you don't have a lot of time. I really appreciate you stopping by. Okay. Thank you. Thanks to Kathleen Kennedy and our own Nick Romano for hanging out with us this week. And thank you for hanging out as well. And if you want to thank us for doing the podcast each and every week, it would be awesome if you could not only tell your friends about it, but also follow, rate, and review. We might even read your review right here. So go hit it up on Apple Podcasts. That would be sweet. You can also connect with us on social media by following Entertainment Weekly on all socials. It's at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag and follow us directly using at Dalton Ross, at Devin Kogan, and at Nick A. Romano. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll do it all over again next week. This episode of Dagobah Dispatch Podcast is hosted and produced by Dalton Ross and Devin Kogan. Produced and edited by Sammy Junio. Executive produced by Chanel Johnson. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening and may the force be with you.